All right, guys, welcome to New Life. Okay, I see how some of you are. You'll be like, I shall not be moved. It's okay, it's all right. Uh, welcome, I'm glad you guys are here. My name's Jeff, I'm one of the pastors on staff. I want to say a big hello to all of you that are worshiping with us down in the venue right now, as well as all of you that are worshiping with us out in North Platte. Uh, it's a great day. Uh, listen, this past week we just kicked off life groups. How many of you guys joined a life group? Anybody join a life group? Let me hear from you. Come on. Wow, that's such a great response. Wow, that's great. We're going to get closer and closer to our goal of every single person being in a biblical community called a life group with each other. I do want to say a big thank you to all of our life group leaders and all of our life group hosts, those people that lead and those who open up their homes for groups to be led in. Thank you so much for giving of yourself so that we can truly make disciples here at, uh, at New Life and not just have worship services. Um, I also want to say how many of you guys were here last Sunday? Let me hear from you if you were here last Sunday. Come on. Doesn't it feel good to be able to say that you were here two weeks in a row? I mean, it's the little things that count, guys. Seriously, it does. If this is your first week with us, though, I want to say thank you for coming. Last week, uh, we kicked off our brand new teaching series called Live Dead, but we also kicked off our new service times. Uh, so these are new service times that we have here. Uh, we had 1,144 people worship with us last week. We had 49 first-time guests. That's incredible. If you're one of those first-time guests, welcome back, right? Welcome back. Glad to have you back with us. Um, if this is your first time visiting with us, then man, thank you so much. You could have picked anywhere to worship, but you picked one of our North Platte campuses, or one of our North Platte campus or our Kearney campus to worship with us, and I'm thankful for that. But the biggest number that I want us to celebrate is that last week we had five people commit their life to Jesus and say, I want to follow him for the rest of my life. Amen? Come on, that's good. That's the kind of number that matters, all right? So those other numbers are awesome. We should celebrate them, right? Because it's something that God's doing. But that last number really makes a big difference, especially in light of our current teaching series entitled Live Dead. Now, I know some of you, you're, you might have a hard time with, why do we have to call the teaching series Live Dead? Does that even go together? Is that even biblical? Is that even right? Where in the world did you even get that from, Jeff? Well, I get it uh, first and foremost from God's word, but secondarily, I get it from a movement of missionaries around the world that they call their movement Live Dead. And when they go into these communities, they go in not living for themselves, but living for Christ. Biblically, though, we get it from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where the Bible says these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We get it right from the, it's no longer I who live. If it's no longer I who live, that means death. But what are we living for? Christ who lives in me. And that's where our hope comes from. So we're, we're dying to ourselves so we can come alive in Christ so that we can find the true hope that we need to find in this world. But we also get it from the words that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 9. Here's the way Jesus says it. He goes, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus, when he uses the words, take up your cross, there is an aspect, a picture of dying to the desires, to, to um, you know, living by the commands of this world. It's not that we don't enjoy the things that God's created, you know, lakes and mountains and relationships that we have and 
all of the other amazing things that God's created. It's not that we don't enjoy those, but we don't let those things drive us. We don't let those mandate to us. To, we don't let the world control us. And he says basically here, you know, that um, I want you to deny those things. I want you to reject those things. And I want you to turn your full attention towards me and follow me. That's, again, where hope comes in. That's where hope comes in. And today, that's where we're going. We want to teach our entire congregation between now and the holidays what it means to live a life that's dead to this world, dead to its desires, coming alive, though, with Christ. And we know that to be a live-dead individual, if you will, um, that, that's a journey. It's not a destination. It's going to be something that's going to take some time. You know, it's going to take time to soak in that truth. Um, today, I want to continue our journey by discussing the second principle in our teaching series entitled character. Now, before you turn me off, because character is one of those words that you hear a lot of, just hear me out on this topic, because I really believe that God's got something profound that he wants to say to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to inspire you. He also wants to challenge you with this word as we talk about character. So what does it really look like to have Christ-centered character? Well, a few things. Number one, we need to know this. The character really becomes the, our, the mental and maybe even the moral, the spiritually moral, if you will, uh, qualities of a person. That's what makes up character. You know, the decisions that you make and how you act out on those. And, you know, what is the, the code in which you're living by? What is the moral code in which you're living by? And those things begin to define you as you live it out. And it becomes your character. Now, jumping back to the video that I introduced this sermon with... Uh, I was talking from the Sermon on the Mount dealing with how Jesus dealt with character. And I think one of the greatest places to look when we're talking about character is what Jesus said. And Jesus had some profound things to say in what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 when he laid out uh, what we now refer to as the Beatitudes. These Beatitudes are really character statements that Jesus is mentioning. So if you want to know what does Christ-centered character look like, then this might be a great place to go. Let me just show you um, some of the examples of what I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus said these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, first and foremost, Jesus is not talking about the poor financially. He says, I'm talking about the poor in spirit. So what's the character quality that Jesus is saying that you have to have? He says you have to be humble. That's literally what he was saying. Have a character quality of humility. That would be where Jesus would start. Then he, then he goes to the next verse in verse four and he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So Jesus is not talking about blessed are you who sit around and cry all day. Blessed are you who have to carry a handkerchief with you so that you can wipe your tears and your snot away all day. That's not, that's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is blessed are you who have the character quality of mourning. What does he mean by that? He means, blessed are you who have the character quality of confessing of sin and the repentance of sin. That's literally what he means by that, talking about our character as he speaks to that issue. Verse 5, he says, blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Basically, he's saying, have the character quality of being gentle. Meek would mean to be gentle. That's the character quality. So what does Christ-centered character look like? He's laying it out for us right here. Let's go, to the, let's go to the next one, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and they thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Oh, that's maybe a more easy one to understand. Righteousness, if you want to know an easy way to say it, is to live right before God. 
So what's the character quality that Jesus is saying every man and woman on this earth should be striving for and living by? He's saying you've got to strive to have a character that is, that's desiring to be sin-free. That's part of the character of a Christ-centered individual, that we're striving to live sin-free. Now, we're human, and we're going to fail. We're going to fall on our face, but God wants us to have that desire in our heart. That's part of the character quality he wants to see in us. What else does it mean? Let's go to, let's go to the next one, verse 7. Blessed are those, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's simple. Jesus is saying, have the character quality of compassion. Compassion. That would be part of a Christ-centered character. Then he goes on, and he says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What's the character quality there? The pure in heart. Have the right motives. Christ-centered, biblical, godly motives in the decisions that you make and the way you interact with people. This is all Jesus speaking to your character. Then lastly that I want to highlight is verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. What's the character quality he's trying to drive home? Blessed are those who help protect unity. You might not agree with everything that I do, say, how we lead the church. Right? I got it. Because we're not always, always going to agree on everything. Those are some, at many times, the minor pieces. What's the major pieces that we can all agree on, though? We can all agree on the fact that Jesus came and he gave his life on the cross and he rose again from the grave so that you and me might have a relationship with God through Christ and through Christ only. And that God's word is the solid truth and there is no other truth besides God's word, right? And that God sent his Holy Spirit to live in us and to fill us and to move through us, right? And I can go on and on. Those are the things that really matter. And that's what I'm asking you. Have the character quality of Christ and let's protect the unity of our church, right? And let's all strive for those things that are greater. Amen? So that's, that's an example of what godly character looks like. So how is a Christ-centered character built then? Well, that's where we're going to land on our key scripture for today in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. How do you build Christ-centered character? Here's what Paul says. He was talking about some things earlier, and so he picks up in verse 3. He goes, not only so, not only so about those things, but we also, what? We what? We rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character what? Hope. Hope. So how is Christ-centered character built? Here's where it starts. It first starts with suffering. Suffering is the gateway to character. Now I know the word suffering is not the best word. In fact, that word suffering can be scary at times. It can even be somewhat intimidating. It conjures up an image or a feeling of past pain as you've gone through maybe horrific moments of suffering in your past. The word suffering itself is a word that gives the illusion or the picture of something being crushed or squeezed. Like, have you ever taken an orange and you tried to get fresh orange juice? And so you started crushing and squeezing it to get all of the juice out of it? Suffering can feel like that. It can feel like as if you're getting crushed and squeezed and all the life is coming out of you at times. Physically, emotionally, financially, right? Even spiritually, it can feel that way. But what does is, what is suffering really look like? Many times when that question is brought up in a church context, we, we quickly go back to the Old Testament, to the story of a man by the name of Job. 
Job, who had everything. He was a great leader. He had an incredible family. He had amazing wealth. You know, he had, an incre- he had, a, ma- had a great business. And through a sequence of events, servant after servant walks through his doors and tell, tells him, you just, you just lost this, this child. You just lost this portion of your family. You just lost that business. You just lost your leadership. You just lost this. You just lost that. And through a horrific scenario of events, Job experiences what we would consider today as being one of the most off-the-charts suffering moment that man may have, have ever experienced in his entire life. And then we kind of go, man, that is so deep. How do I even identify with that? So what does suffering look like in 2016? It can look like the loss of someone that you love deeply. You suffer with that. It can look like the loss of a job, unexpectedly or expectedly. But it could also be as more minor, per se, as a disagreement or an argument that happens between two close friends. So suffering can be extreme, and suffering can appear as minor, but we, we do know that suffering, suffering is something that it shakes us. It shakes us from our, our normal daily routine. And you, you kind of know what I mean if you've gone through suffering. You know that there's at times that things that you suffer with, with have caused you to lose sleep. They've caused others to have so much stress in their life that they maybe even have gotten sick or even ulcers have come. That it has shaken us mentally where we can't get our mind off of that thing that we're suffering with. Or it's shaken you emotionally or unfortunately it's even shaken us spiritually. And we've gotten upset and mad at God and upset and mad at the church and upset and mad at friends. And you know we've made drastic decisions that have not caused us to get more healthy but only to get worse. Suffering in and of itself can be a gift though. How? Because suffering, when it shakes, it shakes the temporal and it reminds us that there is something eternal. See, suffering, when it comes to you, it shakes the things that you can get your hands on. It shakes what you experience on this earth. But one thing that suffering has no bounds on, it has no control over, is the eternal. It has no control in heaven. There is no suffering in heaven. It cannot shake unless you let it. It cannot shake the hope of Christ the Savior, unless you let it. Suffering's going to happen, but it doesn't change that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the Lord. It doesn't change that there's only one way to find eternity with God, and that's through, that's through Jesus. Suffering reminds us that we live in a, in a world of temporary things that are going to change, and if you let it, suffering can be a gift. A gift to literally remind you that God is still in control. I want you to know something today. That's why God strategically uses suffering. God's like the sculptor, the sculptor who looks at a piece of rock that is unformed and he looks at the rock and he goes, I see something beautiful in that rock. And so he gets out his chisel, his metal steel chisel, and he gets out his hammer and he looks at the rock and he goes, I'm going to start over here. And he pulls back the hammer and he strikes the chisel and it slams into the rock and it takes off a chart of it and it leaves it. It leaves it with sharp edges and he does it again and again over and over again as the sculptor, as the artist keeps sculpting the piece of stone down to this beautiful and incredible imagery. You need to know today, God is the sculptor. You, you are the rock. And God doesn't bring suffering, suffering as a form of punishment to you. 
Suffering is not a form of neglect. Suffering is definitely not just because we live on this planet. God maximizes suffering. Every moment of suffering is God with his chisel, one more slam into the rock, shaping you into the masterpiece that only he can see. You can't see it, but God can see it. That's what God does. So suffering is something you need to know today. If you're like, I'm, I suffer all the time. I probably suffer more than everyone else. No, you don't. We all suffer. We all suffer differently, but we all suffer. There's some Christians today that right now are walking the streets of some you know, predominant Muslim community in some predominant Muslim uh, country, and they are a Christian. They're going to suffer in a different way than what you're going to suffer living here in Nebraska But if you call yourself a Christian, part of this life is suffering. And God's using it for his perfection. So what effect are you going to allow suffering to have on your character? Because today, that's what we're talking about. What effect is suffering going to have on your character? Is it it going to make you more honest? Is it going to make you more um, humble? Is it going to make you a person that's full of more integrity? Or is your response going to lead to what a lot of people do? which is in their suffering, they become more angry, they become more bitter, and they can even become more calloused. Towards God? Towards others? What what response are you going to have? Because one of those responses is the right one that's going to lead to Christ-centered character, and the other one is the wrong one. And that's where in Romans chapter 5, the next piece of that scripture comes to play where it's dealing with how perseverance works. So if if suffering is the gateway, right, to, to character, then perseverance is the what? It's already up on the screen. It's been there. Did you not look? Perseverance is the what? It's the key. It's the key that unlocks the door. Perseverance is the key to character. This is what perseverance is. Perseverance is patience and enduring difficult times. It's, it's really, it's even maintaining a consistency in the face of suffering. Going back to our, our key passage in Romans chapter 5, we see that suffering, it literally produces perseverance. Or it gives us the opportunity to persevere correctly. And in perseverance, it builds character. So perseverance literally is your response Your response to your suffering. It's the response that God happens to be looking for, though. Right? And and responding correctly to your trials and to your tribulations and to your times of suffering, it's the key to developing Christ-centered character. Persevering. Sticking in there, even when things get tough. You know, a couple weeks ago, I had a friend that I love and care about came to me. He goes, after this meeting, he goes, I want to talk to you in confidence. And uh, he said, I want to share a couple of things, some things that I just sense in my heart. I go, perfect, man. I'm ready. Let's go for it. Um, And then he began to talk about me, which is great. It's fine. I love that. He began to highlight how he sensed my heart had been changing. He even highlighted how he sensed that my love towards others had become a little tainted and how I was becoming more harsh than what I wanted to be. And he reminded me, and he said, that's not the man that you are. It's not the man I believe that you're wanting to become. 
I'm saying these things because I love you and I care about you and I sense those in my heart. And so I want to challenge you, Jeff, don't let the weight of the office of pastor of this church weigh on you to a point that it warps you to becoming a man that you don't want to be. Now, if you've ever been in a situation like that, you just need to know something. I kept my big mouth shut all the way through that conversation. That was not easy. But you just, you sensed during that moment, the Holy Spirit just going, don't you utter a word. Don't utter a word. And then I began to pray about what I had been told. And I got to tell you, in all honesty, I, I battled with that. I, I battled with this kind of like brushing it off, like, ah, he doesn't really know. He's... He, he hasn't been around on everything. He, he doesn't have a clue on these other pieces. I, I battled with just kind of letting it go, right? And, and I just couldn't because I kept hearing the whisper of the Holy Spirit going, you need to bring this really to prayer and let me speak to you. And then God showed up. And I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I found myself in repentance before God. And I immediately started applying a different application in my leadership. Now only time is going to tell whether those changes will affect my leadership and affect others. And I'm praying that it will. But that was a moment of suffering. A moment of suffering when a godly rebuke comes your way. If you've ever been in a situation like that, it's not the easiest moment to be in. But a godly rebuke, someone that loves you, cares about you, is speaking gently and softly, not condemning, but yet just speaking their heart to you, and you give them the audience to do that, and then the Holy Spirit can use it. A godly rebuke, though, still is a matter of suffering, and you've got to decide, even in moments like that, what will your perseverance be? Will it be a godly perseverance, or will it be a manly perseverance? One is going to lead you to a Christ-centered character, and the other one's going to lead you to a world-centered character. So perseverance is literally finding God and holding on in difficult suffering moments when the world is wanting to pull you a different direction, right? When the winds are blowing and they're wanting to rip you out of this death grip that you've got on God. When the currents of life are coming against you and they're wanting to pull you away, when in the middle of suffering, perseverance is grabbing a hold of the truth of God and hanging on for dear life at moments. But it's also, like Paul says in verse 3, Romans chapter 5, it's, a, it's an attitude of rejoicing. Anytime that you've suffered, haven't you just rejoiced? Like, haven't you just put a big smile on your face and you're like, man, God, thank you so much for this hellish moment. It's amazing. Is that how you respond? Probably not. See, because rejoicing is different than being happy. Okay? It's different than being happy. Here's what he means by rejoicing. Here's a response we should have in perseverance in the middle of suffering. The rejoicing, it finds peace that God's still in control, no matter what you're facing. That's rejoicing. Rejoicing, rejoicing finds joy in Jesus, even though you're suffering in the middle of pain. Physically, financially, emotionally. It's choosing, even though I've got this pain, to find joy in Jesus. Rejoicing, it allows you to please God, even in the middle of the storm. To please Him, but let me just add this word, to praise Him. God, I choose to praise you, even in the middle of the storm. It might take everything inside of you to praise Him, but it's a choice, and we do it. 
Rejoicing should be the constant in both the good times and in the trials. Rejoicing should be that constant, whether you're living on the mountaintop of life right now, because suffering comes in seasons. How many of you guys know that, right? It's like everything's going good, 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 and then all of a sudden, like, boom, suffer, 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 suffer. It's like it comes in these waves. It's not just one little thing. It comes in like, you know, a dozen things at one time, it seems like. The constantness of just going, I choose to rejoice no matter which situation I find myself in, that's what God's looking for. So suffering and trials, they give us the opportunity to respond correctly, which when you respond correctly, it does develop a Christ-centered character. So maybe lastly, how would you, how would you even know if Christ-centered character is being built in you? It's growing inside of you. How would you even know that? The evidence of Christ-centered character is found in one word, hope. Hope. See, two, two people can face the same struggle at the exact same time. One man will become better from it. The other man will become bitter from it. Two people could face the exact same struggle and one man will become stronger from it. The other man will become weaker from it. Right? Two people could face the exact same struggle and one will become more compassionate from it while the other person becomes more angry and bitter from it. What's the difference? The difference between the two individuals is the word hope. You and I, we need true hope when we face a trial. And you need to know this about hope. Hope is the string that goes all the way through the suffering and the perseverance through the character. And when applied correctly, it starts this size, but it ends this size. Hope is one of those you know, elements that has the ability to increase in your life even during a struggle It's what helps to develop and secure Christ-centered character. That's why we go back to Romans chapter 5, and we even see there that, you know, the suffering produced, what? Perseverance, perseverance, character, but then character, hope. So hope then becomes the evidence that you're looking for when you're trying to discern, is Christ-centered character building in me? So what really is true hope? Well, one thing it's it's not is this, you... You're never going to find true hope in, you know, looking for something that might be, you know, big enough to find hope in in this life. You're you're just not going to find it. It's not there. And you're not going to find hope looking for something that's strong enough in this world. True hope is found in what only God can provide. And only God becomes the source of hope. I want you to never forget the scripture I'm going to show you. Because it's also what I would choose to pray over you. Even today, Romans chapter 15, Paul says, I pray, and I'm, and I'm choosing to pray this over you as well. I pray that God, the source of hope, where does hope come from? Where is true hope discovered? It's not in your bank account. It's not in your relationships. It's in the source of hope, being God. And may I, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him now listen then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the holy spirit i pray that over you that you would overflow with confident hope through the power of the holy spirit that it wouldn't just be that you know that god is the source of hope but that the The confident hope that only God can pour into your life would overflow in you 
I'm telling you today, confident hope is what's going to carry you through to Christ-centered living. And it's, it's confident hope alone and nothing else. But I also love what 1 Thessalonians has to say about hope. It says this in chapter 5. But since we belong to the day, we don't belong to the night, by the way. We belong to the day. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And look at this. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. What is hope? What is true hope? Hope is the eternal promise of salvation. Salvation through Christ. That this earth is not my home. I belong to a different master. I'm just passing through. I'm like a vapor here one day and I'm gone the next. Hope is the eternal promise of salvation through Christ no matter what you're facing. No matter what you face. You can lose your life, but the hope of salvation is stronger, church. Right? You could face the most difficult scenario you've ever faced, but the hope of salvation is stronger. You could experience pain beyond your wildest imagination, but the hope of salvation can sustain you. What is hope? Hope is in Jesus Christ, who never changes, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is eternal. Suffering reminds us that the temporal, this earth, it shifts and it shakes and it brings pain And it should remind us that Jesus is stable, never changing, always full of hope and salvation and grace, always full of the answer. Amen? Amen. So today, I want to encourage you, put your life completely in the hands of Jesus this morning. Make a choice. Make a choice today to live dead to this world and alive with Christ. Put your complete hope in Jesus. And if today you're in a place where you're suffering you're in a place today where you're, you're facing a trial, a, 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 a tribulation. You're facing something that's very difficult and it's come your way. I want you to know something today. God is here. And he's here to remind you that you can put your hope in him. And you can put your trust in him. And he'll be the one that will see you through. So bring your pain today. Bring your suffering. Bring your trial to Jesus today. And allow him to strengthen your hope so that your perseverance will lead to a Christ-centered character. So no matter where you are today, down in the venue, out in North Platte, use our altars as a place for hungry people to come and go, God, I'm bringing my, my suffering to you. Maybe you know someone else that's suffering and you want to bring them to Jesus and you want to say, God, help them to put their hope in you. Help their perseverance to be correct so that Christ-centered character can be developed. That's what it's really all about, church. How do we respond in this world? It either is building Christ-centered character or it's building a world-centered character. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the hope in which we stand on. You are unchanging. You are, you are unshakable. Lord, the world shakes around us, but Lord, you are the constant. You are stable. And today we choose to run to you. We choose to, to say, God, and we want to put our hope in you We want because we want Christ-centered character to be developed in us. We know we're going to go through moments of suffering. Lord, help us to respond correctly. 
Even today, in this moment where we're going to spend these next few moments in singing and in worshiping and, you know, in adoration of you, God. May it be a time of also confession where we come to you and we confess that, Lord, we're struggling, we're overwhelmed, we don't know where to turn. Lord, we need you. Lord, so many times we, we try to, we, we say that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But Lord, when suffering happens, we tend to t- try to come back out of the grave and we want to grab a hold of things and we want to control them. Lord, that's not the right action. You want us to pick up our cross daily, not when we feel like it. So today, Lord, we, we pick up our cross. We run to you. Say, Lord, you are big enough for our suffering. You are strong enough for our trials. You can sustain us through our tribulations. We choose to run to you. We choose to trust in you. Now, Lord, will you fill this church with hope that's beyond us? Will you draw us in even closer than we've ever been before as we put our complete faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen.